Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on all podcast platforms and YouTube every single Wednesday and you're not going to want to miss it. Now for today's episode, we are discussing a cold case that was recently solved after 38 years. Truthfully, you guys, this is a wild, wild case and I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about it because I was on the edge of my seat researching and it's a tragic, tragic case. However, the family luckily did get justice fairly recently. So we're going to walk through all of it today. So as you can tell, we're talking about the case of Janelle Matthews. Let's jump right on into it. Janelle Matthews was born on February 9th, 1972 in Santa Barbara, California. Now Janelle's birth mother was only 13 years old when she gave birth to Janelle. So shortly after Janelle was born, she was placed for adoption. And one month after she was born in March of 1972, Janelle ended up getting adopted by a couple named Gloria and Jim Matthews. Jim and Gloria already had one biological daughter. However, they were looking to expand their family and were thrilled when they were matched with Janelle. The family lived in Greeley, Colorado, and at the time that this case took place, which is in the 1980s, Greeley was a very quiet and quaint Midwest town. It was the type of town where parents weren't worried if their kids were staying out playing late at night in the front yard. It was a not worrying about locking your doors type of town. It was very, very safe. And Janelle Matthews was a firecracker. She was a very sassy and opinionated 12-year-old girl. She was full of life. She loved music. She actually had boy band posters all over her bedroom. And her favorite band was called Menudo, which was a Puerto Rican band. And it's actually where Ricky Martin got his start in the industry. So that's something that I learned in this case. So this case begins in December of 1984. At the time, Janelle was 12 years old and we're looking at the days leading up to Christmas. Now, both Gloria and Jim were actually from California, and in the days leading up to Christmas of 1984, Gloria got some news from her family back in California that her grandfather had gotten pretty ill, and so Gloria decided to take the days leading up to Christmas and Christmas itself to go back to California to spend that quality time with her grandfather. Now, Janelle was someone who absolutely loved Christmas. It was her favorite holiday. She was always making little gifts to give to her friends. And of course, she loved getting gifts as well. It was a time that she truly, truly cherished. And so her family told her and her sister Jennifer 
that because Gloria was going to be gone on the actual day of Christmas and she was returning home on the 26th of December, the family was going to celebrate Christmas on the 26th instead, but they still did everything they could to keep the Christmas magic alive for their daughters. So this now brings us to the night of December 20th, 1984. Now on this night, again, Gloria was out of town. She was in California. So it was only Jim at the house with 16-year-old Jennifer and 12-year-old Janelle. Now on the night of December 20th, both girls had school functions that they needed to attend. Janelle had her Christmas choir concert for her middle school while Jennifer was playing in her basketball game at school. Now, both of these events overlapped in terms of time, so Jim was not able to stay and watch Janelle's performance. Instead, he dropped Janelle off at the school and then drove Jennifer to her basketball game and waited there for her to be done. Now, because Jim was not able to drive Janelle home, Janelle set up plans to get dropped off back at home after the concert by her best friend, Deanna, and Deanna's dad a man named Russ Ross. After the concert, Deanna, Janelle, and Russ all got in the car and drove Janelle back to her house where they dropped her off at approximately 8.30 p.m. When they got to the house, Janelle got out of the car and walked through the garage door. And while she was making her way into the house, Russ and Deanna waited outside in the car to make sure that Janelle got in safely. They waited until Janelle gave them the secret signal which was turning the light switch on and off and that was her signal to Russ that she was inside and that she was safe and once she gave Russ that signal Russ and Deanna made their way back home. Now, Jim ended up coming home about an hour later at around 9.30 p.m., and Jennifer came home about 30 minutes after that. Jennifer wanted to stay around after the game a little bit and just hang out with her friends, and Jim just told her he would meet her at home. He wanted to get home to see Janelle. Now, when Jim got home, he noticed that Janelle was not there. And it wasn't until 30 minutes later when Jennifer arrived at the house that Jim would ask Jennifer if she had seen Janelle. Now, when Jennifer was asked this question by her dad, she was a little confused because she thought that Janelle was just going to be at home waiting for them when they returned back. And so she didn't understand why her dad was really asking her this question. Janelle was not the type that was just going to secretly run off or run away from home. In fact, everyone that knew Janelle knew that she was a little bit into the dramatics. And so if she were to leave the house, if she were to run away from home, she was definitely going to write a note. She was going to make it a scene of an exit. And so because Janelle was nowhere to be found, that is when Jim started to worry. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? 
Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, at this point, Jim decided that he was going to call Russ. And when he called Russ, he had asked Russ if everything went okay with dropping Janelle off at home. And when Russ got this phone call, he was very confused because at this point, he had just dropped Janelle off about an hour and a half ago, and he didn't think that there was anything wrong. He told Jim that he had waited outside for Janelle to give that secret signal. And he also told Jim that Janelle went through the garage door to get into the house and that everything seemed fine. But there was one thing that Russ mentioned that stuck out to Jim and that was the fact that Russ said that she went through the garage door. According to Jim, Janelle should have never been able to go through the garage door because when he left the house that night with both girls, he shut the garage. However, Russ told Jim that when he drove up to the house that night to drop Janelle off, the garage was open. So Jim is now putting the pieces together of he leaves the house, garage is shut. Russ then drops Janelle off and for some reason, that garage is now open and he didn't know why. Now, throughout the night, Jim made multiple phone calls to Janelle's friends to see if anyone knew where she was. However, no one did. And it was after making those phone calls to her friends that Jim ultimately decided that he needed to call the Greeley Police Department to file a missing persons report for Janelle. And very shortly after that call was made, in only a few minutes, police arrived to the Matthew home to begin their investigation. It was also at that time that Jim made the horrible phone call to his wife, Gloria, who was still in California, telling her that their youngest daughter was missing. Now, when police arrived at the Matthews house and they started looking through everything and beginning their investigation, they noticed that nothing looked out of place. There was no signs of a struggle. There was no sign of forced entry. Janelle had left her stockings that she had worn during the choir concert that night on her bed. Along with that, the shoes that Janelle had worn to the concert that night were sitting at the foot of the couch on the floor, which told police that at some point Janelle had gone to the couch and taken her shoes off. They also were able to look in Janelle's closet and saw that there were no other pair of shoes that were missing which just added more confusion to everything because this was December in Colorado. There was snow on the ground. It was freezing temperatures during the night outside. So why would Janelle leave without any shoes? Now, police began knocking around on neighbors' doors and canvassing the town to see if there were any signs of Janelle or if anyone was able to see her. However, they came up with nothing. However, there was one 
one thing that police were able to discover, and that was that in the snow wrapped around the side of the Matthews house, there were shoe prints. Police discovered that the shoe prints outside matched a shoe print that was found in the garage that had stepped in a puddle of grease in the garage. So that same shoe print matched the prints outside. And the weird thing about the shoe prints is that on the side of the house, it appeared that the shoe prints had walked over to the window of the basement. However, the window of the basement was shut and locked. So if someone did walk over there, it appeared that they only tried to look through the window. But to make matters even more bizarre, some of the shoe prints that were in the snow had been noticeably raked away in order to conceal that they were there in the first place. The rake itself was in the garage of the Matthews home hanging up. So you have this rake that's hanging up in the garage. You also have shoe prints out in the snow. And by the path of the shoe prints, it shows that whoever was walking had walked into the garage, grabbed the rake from off of the rack, walked back outside, only raked several shoe prints, not all of them, so only specifically chose a several few before walking back into the garage and placing the rake back where they had found it. This was bizarre to police because they felt if someone was going to try and rake away their shoe prints, why would they only rake away a select few? And also, This clearly was someone who wasn't worried about time because if someone was trying to get out of that house quickly, they aren't gonna take the time to lift up the rake, take it outside, rake away the shoe prints, bring it back inside and place it back where they found it. More than likely, they would have just raked the shoe prints away and dropped the rake on the floor, got into a car, and drove away. The next part of this investigation is when police went into Janelle's school to speak to some of her classmates to see if Janelle had talked about anyone that she knew or if there was any weird behavior coming from Janelle, but all of Janelle's friends were consistent in saying that Janelle had acted totally fine in the days leading up to her disappearance. She wasn't acting like something was wrong. She didn't mention anyone new that had been in her life. And they all agreed that there was no way that Janelle would have just up and ran away without making it clear that she was making an exit. And also there was no way that she was going to run away this close to Christmas. Like I mentioned earlier, Christmas was Janelle's favorite, favorite holiday, and there was no way that she was going to miss out on giving her friends gifts and also getting gifts from her family. It just wasn't going to happen because Christmas was such a big holiday for her. Now, when it came to the people that police had on their radar, the first person that police spoke to was the last known adult to have seen Janelle, and that would be Russ Ross, Janelle's best friend's dad. Police had spoken with Russ on several different occasions trying to see if there would be a crack in his story. However, he was consistent every single time. He said the same story about how he dropped Janelle off with his daughter in the car. Janelle walked in through the garage door, flicked the light switch, and then he drove away. 
So they spoke to him on multiple occasions. However, ultimately, because he was so consistent with his story and there was no evidence to prove that what Russ was responsible for this, police had to change course. And it probably will not surprise you when I tell you that the next person that they looked at in this case was actually Janelle's own father, Jim Matthews. Police started to wonder if Jim actually came home to an empty house or if Jim came home to Janelle. But Jim told police that on the night of the 20th when he got home, he said initially he actually didn't even notice that Janelle wasn't there. When he walked in through the door, he had called out her name a couple of times, however, didn't get an answer, but he didn't think it was something to be concerned about. Instead, Jim then took a Christmas present that he needed to wrap and wrapped it instead before continuing to look for Janelle. Now, when police heard this, this spiked their concern because if Jim was coming home to an empty house and couldn't find his 12-year-old, why is the first thing that he was doing wrapping a Christmas present? But again, Jim told police that the last thing that was on his mind was that his daughter was possibly missing. What shocked police even further and spiked their concern more was when Jim told police that after calling all of Janelle's friends to see if anyone had seen Janelle and everyone told him that they didn't know where Janelle was, the next person that he called was actually not the police. Instead, the next person that Jim Matthews called was his pastor. Jim said that he called his pastor because he was looking for guidance. He wanted to have guidance in the situation that he was going through, and so he called his pastor. And according to Jim, his pastor told him that he needed to file a missing persons report because this seemed very, very serious. So that is when he hung up the phone with the pastor and called the police. Something else that concerned police was Jim's outwardly calm demeanor. He was very stoic and he always maintained that composure and police were worried about that. Because as we know now, having gone through so many of these cases, someone's demeanor does not necessarily mean one thing or another in terms of their involvement in a case. Everyone grieves differently. We know this. But it was concerning to police because Jim's daughter is missing and he is maintaining this stoic, cool, calm, nonchalant behavior. And both Gloria and Jim weren't really pressing the police for any information. And that was viewed in two different ways, because from Jim and Gloria's perspective, they were sitting back and letting the police do their jobs. The police are the experts. They know what they're doing. But from everyone else's perspective, because when children go missing or anyone goes missing, typically the family, we've talked about it so many times here, the family is pressing the police. They're hounding the police. They want answers. They want to know what's going on. They want to be a part of the investigation as much as they can. And Jim and Gloria kind of took the back seat more so than we have seen before. So that raised some concerns as well. And beyond all of that, Jim was also asked to take a lie detector test. And when he did, he completely failed. He failed on the critical questions in regards to Janelle's disappearance. He failed on the questions about, do you know what happened to your daughter? He failed the questions of, do you know where your daughter is right now? He completely failed on those questions. 
Again, as we know, polygraph tests are not admissible in a court of law. However, when police see something like this, it tells them that they have to continue digging in that direction. Now, even though Jim did fail the polygraph, there was no other evidence linking him to his daughter's disappearance whatsoever. Police were looking high and low, searching every lead they could, but ultimately they landed on nothing. So because of that, they had to switch courses again. And in the time of this investigation, weeks turned into months, which turned into years. And a little bit over a year after Janelle had originally gone missing, police started to take a new course of action. Police had received a phone call saying that they should look into a man named Norris Drake. Norris Drake was unemployed at the time of Janelle's disappearance, and he was living with a friend of his named Dave. However, he often spent a lot of time at his mother's house, and his mother lived right across the street from Janelle Matthews. Now, on the night of Janelle's disappearance, Norris was actually at his mom's house and left shortly after 9 p.m., However, Norris's mom said that when he left the house that day, he got into his car and just sat there and seemed like he was watching something and the car was pointed in the direction of the Matthews home. So it appeared to his mom like he was watching Janelle's house. Police also spoke with Norris's ex-girlfriend who explained how violent Norris really was. She claimed that she had been physically abused by him on multiple, multiple occasions. He also threatened that he was going to kill this ex-girlfriend and that no one would ever be able to find her body. Along with that, he also mentioned how he would kill this ex-girlfriend. And in mentioning his blueprint, basically, of how he was going to kill his ex-girlfriend, he mentioned the raking of the footprints, which ties into what I mentioned earlier about how the shoe prints outside of Janelle's house had been raked away. And here we have Norris Drake telling his ex-girlfriend that he was going to rake away the shoe prints. And the most interesting and crucial part about that is the fact that that was actually a piece of information that police did not release to the public. They wanted to keep certain things to themselves to hold the integrity of the investigation, and that was one of the pieces of evidence that was not released to the public. So the fact that Norris was now expressing this to his ex-girlfriend, it seemed a little too coincidental. His ex-girlfriend also expressed that Norris had a fetish for young preteen girls, and if that was not enough, there was also a several-hour time period between 9 p.m. and 2 a.m. that Norris is unaccounted for on the night and early morning hours of December 20th and 21st. He didn't end up going home until 2 a.m. on the 21st, and Dave's sister... So Norris's roommate's sister was sleeping on the couch at the time, and she was woken up to Norris when he came in early that morning. 
So at this point, police knew that they needed to speak with Norris Drake. When detectives brought Norris in for questioning, he told police that on the night of Janelle's disappearance, Dave had let him borrow his truck, and he went over to his mom's house. He said he was leaving his mom's and noticed that Janelle's garage door was open and that there were lights on. However, he didn't remember anything after that and stated that he just made his way home to Dave's from there. Now, because police already had this information from Dave's sister that he didn't get home until two in the morning, police knew that that was not the case. And police interviewed Norris multiple times, multiple, multiple times over the years. They started interviewing him in 1983. They continued interviewing him until 1985 and 86 and 87. And at the latter end of those years, police started searching through Norris's truck that he drove that night, as well as his mom's house. However, it had been five years later, so any substantial evidence that would have been there was more than likely not going to be found at that point. And that's exactly what happened. There was no evidence found when police went to look. And the thing was is that at this point, about five years after the investigation, police still had not uncovered any remains. So because of that, Janelle was still considered a missing person. And even though Janelle was still considered a missing person, after about 10 years of her being missing, her family finally decided to hold a celebration of life service for her, understanding that the likelihood that Janelle was going to be found alive at this point was very slim. So now we fast forward to about 30 years later. We're looking at 2013. Again, this case took place in 1984. So now we're looking at 2013. And it was in 2013 that two new detectives joined this case. And that would be Detective Robert Cash and Detective Mike Prill. And when these two new detectives started searching through the over 30 thousand pages of evidence, there was one name that popped up that stood out to them. And through the 30,000 pages of evidence, this name had only occurred two times. And so because of that, he was never really looked into, but now police were starting to notice. And that would be a man named Steve Pankey. Steve Pinky had known the Matthews family because they both went to the same church. It was called the Sunnyview Church. They went there together where Steve worked as a custodian before he ended up getting fired and excommunicated from the congregation. He also was connected to Russ Ross, coincidentally enough, because Russ was actually Steve Pankey's boss at a 7-Up distributor in the 1970s, and the two of them did not get along long. Now here is where things get a little crazy because Detective Cash and Detective Prill learned that in the days following Janelle's disappearance in 1984, Steve had actually reached out to the police himself and told them that he had information about Janelle's disappearance. And more than that, he claimed that he had evidence to prove that she was dead. However, he didn't want to reveal the information he had until police told him what they knew about the case. 
which is a very, very weird thing to do. It's very cat and mouse. It's just, it's the whole thing was very bizarre and it sparked Detective Cash and Detective Prill's interest. But that would not be the only time that Steve Pankey reached out. Over the years, Steve had reached out on multiple different occasions, claiming that he had information on Janelle's case. But for whatever reason, police never took him seriously and never followed up with him to see what he had to say. So then finally, in April of 2019, so we move even farther now, we're even farther away, we're in April of 2019, Detective Robert Cash ended up calling Steve Pankey himself. This initial phone call was 45 minutes and it was a bizarre, bizarre call. So I'm just going to play you a little bit of a clip of it. Hello? Hi, looking for Steve Pankey, please. This is Steve Pankey. It seems to be that you're focused on people in the months, weeks, days, the night that she disappeared. And if that's your focus, I can't help you. I was never at Janelle Matthews' house. My first knowledge that Janelle Matthews existed and disappeared was six days after the fact. So as you can tell, based off of that audio, Steve is definitely dancing around the subject in the situation and what he was saying. And immediately, Steve tried to make a deal with the police, which again is very bizarre because from the police's standpoint, they were saying, why do we need to make a deal? Because what do you even know? What, how are you even connected to this case? Why do we need to make a deal? And so they kept trying to pry at him. However, Steve was adamant that he wanted a deal and he wanted an attorney. I'm not going to say anything until I have a firm deal that can't be broken. Now, again, at this point, police had no idea what Steve was referring to because he was so incredibly vague about everything that he was saying. So in the meantime of trying to make that deal and get Steve to talk, police decided to do the next best thing, which was get in touch with people from Steve's personal life. And that included his ex-wife, Angela. And weirdly enough, when police called Angela, Angela answered the phone and police introduced themselves over the phone. And Angela responded by saying that she had been waiting for police to call for years. She was saying that she had waited so long to get their phone call. Angela recounted multiple bizarre encounters with Steve that somehow had weird ties to Janelle Matthews. Angela said that after living in Greeley, the couple moved to Idaho, and that one day Steve came home and told Angela that he had tried to get in touch with the police about the Janelle Matthews case. And again, Angela was very confused because she felt like it was just a very random thing for him to bring up and try and talk about, but that is when Steve tried to reassure her by saying, quote, you don't think I would hurt her, do you? She looks just like you, end quote. Now, at that point, Angela said that when Steve said that, her blood ran completely cold and she got a terrible gut feeling. 
Angela said that once Steve said that to her, she started thinking about Janelle's disappearance more and more and began remembering little tiny things at the time that were now seeming more and more important. For example, she remembered that the day after Janelle's disappearance on December 21st, Steve told her that the two of them were going to make a road trip to California that day. This was bizarre because the two of them had not been planning this trip prior to that day and it was so close to Christmas and they were planning on spending Christmas in Greeley, Colorado. So for Steve to come up with this bizarre spur of the moment plan to drive out to California was very it was very unlike him and it was very strange. However, Angela went along with it. They drove out to California on the 21st and ended up driving home on Christmas Day, which was the 25th. And on that drive home, Angela remembered that Steve was obsessed with listening to the radio only on the stations that would talk about the Janelle Matthews disappearance. Angela claimed that throughout that entire car ride, Steve had her click to multiple different stations to see who was talking about the case. Then, on July 15th of 2019, Detective Cash received a phone call. The call was from a construction crew that was digging a pipeline in a remote part of the county about 20 miles away from Greeley. They claimed that they had found human skeletal remains while they were on this work site. Detective Cash and Prill immediately went over to the scene and walked up to the remains. The remains included a skull with braces still on it, just like the ones that Janelle had when she was missing. Detective Cash also noticed clothing that was on the skeletal remains, and it was the same clothing that Janelle was described to have been wearing when she went missing. A DNA sample was able to confirm that the remains were, in fact, Janelle Matthews. Janelle's cause of death was able to be confirmed when they found a gunshot wound through her head. And finally, after 35 years, Janelle's family was officially able to lay her body to rest. They held a funeral in Greeley and were able to get a small sense of closure. However, they still wanted justice. And after the funeral, Detective Cash and Prill ended up taking a road trip to Idaho, which is where Steve Pankey was living at the time. The detectives also started to learn more about Steve Pankey, and that included learning that he had lived in multiple different cities after moving away from Greeley, and in each location that he lived in, he got a job as a mortician. He also tried to run for governor on several different occasions as well, and he was also a liar. Steve claimed that he had a degree in criminology, which was not true, and he also claimed that he was an ordained minister. That was also not true. And for whatever reason, he was always doing whatever he could to tie back to Janelle's case. On one occasion, Steve ended up getting arrested for a public disturbance at a bank, and he went on to write an article claiming that the arrest was because the police were trying to make him an informant in the Janelle Matthews case and trying to get him to admit where the body was located, which he claimed in the article he was not going to do because he was afraid of the death penalty. It was just all very, very 
strange. And so when Detective Cash and Prill went to his home in Idaho, they were not surprised when it was a very strange interaction. When the detectives knocked on Steve's door, he started explaining pieces of his personal life to them that police never asked for, including his sexual orientation, claiming that he was bisexual, and that police could find evidence of that on the internet. Again, they never asked. But when it came to talking about Janelle Matthews, that is when Steve refused to talk. Again, without a lawyer and without a deal. He said he wasn't going to talk if he didn't have a lawyer and he didn't have a permanent deal. Now, while they were in Idaho, police were able to have a in-person visit with Angela where they brought her down to the station and were able to continue talking about Steve. And when they did that, they learned of more stories about Steve and his ties to Janelle. Angela claimed that after they had gone on that road trip together, the second that they had returned home in Greeley, Colorado, Steve began Steve began digging around in the backyard. She never asked him about it, but she thought it was very strange. Along with that, Angela remembered an instance where while the two of them were at church one day after Janelle had gone missing, the pastor had started preaching about Janelle claiming that he believed that Janelle was going to be able to come home safely. According to Angela, she said that when the pastor said that, Steve had gotten noticeably uncomfortable. He got up out of his seat and started pacing around the aisles before storming out through the back door, getting noticeably angry. Now, even though Steve had refused to speak to the police about Janelle Matthews case, he was really willing to talk to anyone else who would listen about it. And that included an interview that he did with the NBC station called KTVB, where he started spilling what he claimed to know about Janelle's case. Steve claimed that his father-in-law worked at a graveyard and that after Janelle's disappearance, an officer had approached his father-in-law, claiming that this police officer told his father-in-law that he needed to bury a body in a casket. Like he needed an empty space. He needed a casket to bury a body in. I'm going to play that audio right here. A cop had come to him and said that he had a body that needed to be buried in a casket. They never mentioned the name Janelle Matthews. They never mentioned any name. That's the total of my knowledge about the disappearance of Janelle Matthews. Okay. That's it. There ain't nothing more. So after all of those years of claiming that Steve himself, he was claiming that he had this groundbreaking information for police, that he had all of this evidence, that was all he had to say. And in that clip, he's so nonchalant about it. Very like, why would you think I had any other information? Why would you ever question it? That's all I know. When for years and years and years, he had been claiming to have all of this evidence and information to prove that Janelle was dead. It was just very unsettling. So ultimately, on October 12th of 2020, because of all of this circumstantial evidence, but very strong circumstantial evidence, Steve Pankey was arrested 
in his Idaho home and charged with first-degree murder. He pled not guilty, and the trial began on October 14th of 2021. But with this first trial, there was actually a mistrial due to a hung jury. The jury was not able to come to a unanimous decision. However, there was a second trial. And the smoking gun in this second trial is when Angela testified. She went on the stand, talked about all of the instances that I mentioned in this episode so far. She talked about Steve's violent outbursts, and she also brought to light a ripped note that she found in her trash can while the two of them were still living in Greeley. And it was a ripped up note in Steve's handwriting that read, quote, Snow outside the Matthews house was raked, end quote. Now, Steve himself also took the stand in this trial, and his defense talked about how all of the evidence against him was circumstantial. There was no fingerprints. There was no physical evidence. There was none of that. And when Steve got on the stand, he talked about all of the lies that he had told and how he couldn't keep up with his own lies. And he claimed that the reason that he actually got himself involved in Janelle's case to begin with was because he wanted revenge on the police. So I began a series of lies. I had told so many lies over the years, I didn't know how you can it's just it has to it has to make sense and it all doesn't because i hated the police it was all in one to say i've got information that you want and you can't have it it was a polite way of flipping them the bird it was pure hatred on my part So Steve is now outwardly saying that all of the information that he gave out, all the times that he was trying to connect himself to this case, was simply just because he was trying to send the police on some sort of wild goose chase. It was just very, very bizarre. But when it was all said and done on the second trial, there finally was a unanimous decision. On October 31st of 2022, so just several months ago, Steve Pankey was found guilty of kidnapping and the murder of Janelle Matthews and received 20 years to life in prison. Steve's earliest possible release date will be in 2040 when he will be 91 years old, and that is if he gets out. And that, you guys, is the case of Janelle Matthews. I told you it was a wild one. It's crazy. It's almost unbelievable. However, Finally, after so many years, after 38 years, Janelle Matthews was finally able to receive justice. So I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about this one. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.